So I want to start out today just by saying thank you to you guys. You are a great host church. Um, you're going to get Anthony back next week, so that, that is good news. But anytime you, I'm sure you experience the same thing. Anytime you're doing something uh, for God or for the church, you just, you want to have an impact and you wonder uh, if you are. And this week, I just, I just want to let you know, I appreciated those of you who emailed me and just let me know uh, how much you've enjoyed the series. Some of you dove right into the, the book that you got last week and you had things to say about that. And, and, and some of you said stuff this morning. I, that is just so comforting because you put yourself out there and you don't, you don't know at all. And uh, so I, I've appreciated that. And for those of you who have enjoyed the series, this actually started last summer. So this might be the world's longest message series uh, of six messages. Uh, I came, I filled in for Anthony last year for vacation and started Essential Questions. And then when I threw out a few ideas to him coming back this year, he really latched on to continuing the series. Uh, I guess you guys liked it. So if, you, if you're curious, if you want to go back, if you, if you don't remember or you missed them last year, uh, last year we started off with the question, do you see anything? And that was about choosing to, to live above, uh, choosing to live life above or below the surface. Okay, what, what are you going to choose? Uh, wh how are you going to, where are you going to focus your sight? And then the, the second week uh, last year was who do you say I am? And that's talking about who Jesus is. Uh, do, are you creating a Jesus in your own image or are you living in the image of, of who Jesus was? And then last year we ended up with what can you give in exchange for your soul? And that's about the cost of being a disciple. And those are still on the website. You can listen to those. And then so this year he picked it up with, do you want to get well with what wholeness is and, and, and living in grace and the need to do that? Last week, if you were here, we, we looked at the disciples and Jesus asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? And that was about our quest for significance and, and the conflict it creates. And so today we're looking at the question that, that I've been looking forward to. I saved this one for last because I was excited to, to dive into it. And we're going to look at a question that Jesus asked in response to a question that was asked of him. I don't know if you're the kind of person that answers a question with a question. Uh, sometimes that's a frustrating thing because you just want a straight answer. Uh, but that's what Jesus chose to do. And he had a specific reason for answering the question asked of him with another question. So I'm going to reread the first couple verses from Mark chapter 10 that was already read for us. So if you have your Bible, if you've got your phone, uh, you can read it on the screen. I'm going to read it from a piece of paper so that I can see the words. And it goes something like this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, seemingly good question. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, seeming to go off on a completely different tangent. No one is good except God alone. So this, this question that Jesus asked, why do you call me good? I think speaks to motivation. Why did this man approach Jesus? And so as we get started today, I'm going to start with a question of you. Why are you here today? Are you here because church on Sunday morning is the thing that Christians do? Why have you chosen to come and gather, be part of the body, and 
come before Jesus. This man, we're told, he had enthusiasm. Okay, he's, he's running up to Jesus, which for a leader or for a, a, a rich person, somebody high in status, that was, that was not common. Okay, it was degrading to run. Okay, so they would have had, he would have had to lift up his, his robes, expose his legs, and run, and that would have just been a very degrading thing. But he was excited to see Jesus. But we're going to see in a minute that enthusiasm is only going to get you so far. You know, we, we start off our, our walk with Christ, and we're enthusiastic, we're excited, we're on fire, and you definitely should be. But enthusiasm is only going to get you to, to a certain point. And maybe you're sitting here this morning, and yours is worn thin. Maybe, maybe it's hard for you to drum up enthusiasm. And maybe you ask yourself the question, why do I do this every Sunday? You know, why do I get here? Why do I gather? Why do I care? That's a question you have to sort out. What is the motivation for you to be here? But here's the question the guy asks. Okay, he comes up before Jesus. He gets on his knees before him. He, he humbles himself before the teacher. And he says, what, what can I do to get heaven? So the, the man wants an exchange. He wants to know what, what is, what is uh, asked of me in order to get something else. And I, and I think this is common for us. I know it's common for me. I do this all the time. Okay, so this is not a, I'm throwing things at you. I'm throwing things at myself here. So we, we sometimes go to Jesus and we say, what can I do to get peace in my marriage? What, what can I do to earn the respect or admiration of somebody else? What, what can I do so that I won't be in so much emotional pain all the time? Okay, you, I'm sure, have your own, what can I do, God, in order to get this? Fill in, fill in your own blank. And the focus here, and the focus of this man's question is, what can I do? I want control. I want, I want to maintain that it's by my effort, that I'm the one that's going to get the results. The second focus, though, is I want to do this to get what I want. I have, I have an end in mind, and, and I want to get there. And so here's, here's a, a question to follow up the why are you here today. And this is the question I hope we get to, we get to answer or uh, leads us all to the answer that's right for us. Are you seeking from Jesus transformation or a transaction? Are you seeking transformation in your life? Or are you seeking a transaction? Are you willing to put in the effort as long as you get something in return? See, the transaction view means that your, your relationship with Jesus, you're following him. Whatever you do is about a means to an end. And so for, for this, this man who approaches Jesus, he falls before him. The, the transaction is he wants eternal life. Okay, he knows something else is out there. He's apparently got a spirituality, so that's good. He's on the, he's on the right road. But he completely ignores the, the relevance of, of Jesus to, to the here and now. And what this man is really interested in is self-salvation. Right, what can I do so that I really don't need you, Jesus? Okay, well, what can I do so that you can go and you can deal with other people and I'm going to be, what, I'm going to be okay? And 
It's the same with, with other reasons that we approach God, right? Maybe, maybe we approach God and the transaction is we want relief, right? Maybe, uh, may, maybe we want relief in our marriage, but then that becomes a myopic view. Jesus, you just apply to this area of my life, but I, I don't need you in everything else. In my work situation with the kids, uh, you know, with, with, with all the other things, I'm good. Or maybe you wait until you're in crisis to approach Jesus, right? And you come bow before him and say, okay, I've got a health issue or I've got a job issue, something. There's some sort of crisis that is out of my control. And now, God, I'm ready for you to, to intervene and, and make that transaction for me. Or, or maybe you have a, a want, you know, you're, you're disconnected from God and you have a desire and, and you're hoping that God will, will finally fulfill it. Or maybe it's just about protection. I, I golfed with somebody not too long ago. Uh, I don't golf well, okay, so let's just uh, put that out there. And, and we, we got to talking about what I do sometimes, and, uh, and I told him a little bit about, about church. And, and he said, if there is a God, he's not very good at his job. Okay. This is an interesting comment, right? So his view was there's so much going on around that, that, that if God was doing better, that there'd be a lot more peace, there'd be less strife. And so took the, took the impetus off our decisions, our responsibilities, our behaviors, and put it all on God. So his transaction was he was willing to approach God if there'd be more peace in the world, if there'd be more things going everybody's way in the world. That was, that was going to be the evidence. And so Jesus replies, why do you call me good? You know, there's no one good except God alone. Right? We, we all want to be a good person. I think that's when we reflect about ourselves, that, that's what we try to see. I'm a good person, or he's a good person, or she's a good person. And, and certainly, certainly there are good things about all of us. Right? There are, there are good things that we do. But when we label ourselves good, what we're doing is we're ignoring God. Okay? And that's what Jesus is saying to, to this man here. He says, be careful that you're calling me good. Because okay? you're putting a very large label on this. Because the only one that is pure goodness, that doesn't act on his, his own behalf, acts on the behalf of others, acts in love, is God. Okay? That is the standard. And, and God is the source of life. For us, we're mired in our pride. I mean, that's the battle that we have as we walk, walk spiritually. Okay? When, when our old self and our new self, when they're, we're in, they're in conflict because our old self says, come on back, you're really the center of the universe. Okay? It's, it's the lie. And this is the point that is completely missed by this man. Okay? He's eagerly anticipating what Jesus says. And I think this man totally didn't even hear that question that Jesus asked about goodness. Because here's, here's what Jesus continues on to say. He says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. So Jesus says, no one's good but, but God alone. So he goes on to say all these things. He goes on to talk about, about the law. And then the guy, breathlessly, I'm sure, says, Teacher, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. 
So here's the problem. The guy already thought he was good. Right? He already thought that he, he was good enough. And maybe he thought he was good because he was comparing. And right, when we compare ourselves to others, who, who do we tend to compare ourselves with? Right? We compare ourselves to Hitler. Right? Or somebody like that. Charles Manson. Okay, we, we look down, we say, okay, I'm good. I am not that person there. I haven't murdered people. I haven't gone on killing sprees lately. I haven't stole money from lots of, of innocent people. So I'm good. Or, or maybe, maybe it's we omit certain laws. Right? Notice Jesus didn't give a full list of, the, uh, of even the Ten Commandments in, in, in his little paragraph right there. So sometimes we omit the ones that we don't want to look at because they reflect badly on us. Okay, so, so I'm good with, the, I'm good with the, the, the honor your father and mother, but I'm not so good with the, with the, the murder or the adultery or another one. Okay, but I'm not going to talk about those. So here's something that I want us to understand about the law. When Jesus mentioned this, this man viewed the law as a standard to live up to. And he felt he was living up to that. And that's why he was good. And what, what the law was given as is not a measure of performance. The law was given as a mirror. The law was given to reflect back to us our need for God our need to get our goodness from God. So when we go down the commandments and we look at coveting and we look at uh, giving false testimony, we realize, you know what, I, I lie sometimes without even thinking about it. It's not to cause a shame. It's so that we see I need God. I need his goodness. I need his holiness. I need to be connected to him. That is, that's the point of the law. The law is God's way to beckon mankind back, to say, I know you went your own way, guys, but come back. I'm waiting for you. Okay, here's why. Okay, these things, you can't do this. You can't, you can't get up to me by yourself. Okay, you need, you need me. In Galatians, uh, a book that the Apostle Paul wrote uh, in chapter 2, verse 19, Paul says that it was through the law that he died to the law. And what that means is when, when Paul was observing the law and how hard he was trying to, to fulfill it, it pointed out to him that his foolishness in trying to, to live up to that standard, to prove his own worth and, and goodness. And that caused him to die to the law. Not that the law is not important, not that we shouldn't not murder and, and not covet and, and not steal, okay? But it's not about us proving ourselves, and for Paul, that freed him to live for God. And so the man that approached Jesus and is now hearing uh, Jesus' words and has responded, I've kept all those uh, since, I, since I was a boy, he's caught in this trap. Right? He's, he's declared himself righteousness or righteous. He said, my effort has been good enough. I have done all this since a boy. Whew, looks like eternal life is mine. And, and he's forgotten that, that all of us live in, in disconnection from God to, to some degree. All have sinned. This is, if you read the book of Romans, when you get to chapter 3, it's a little bit of an uncomfortable read. It says everyone has sinned. Everyone falls short of, of the glory of God. And Paul's writing that to the Roman church saying, Jews have, Gentiles have. It's, it's common condition to, to all of humanity. And so this guy was not aware of his pride. 
right? Saying, I've done this perfectly since I was a boy. I have not, I have not lied. I've honored my father and mother perfectly. He has he totally overlooked his pride, his, his false self, the, the part of him that, that lives trying to find wholeness apart from God. And, and living religiously, that is another way to try to find wholeness apart from God. And he's done that. So the trap is if I just try harder to do the right thing, if I just try harder to do the good thing, then everything's going to work out fine. I know for myself, this is how I have approached marriage, okay, to disastrous effect. That if I just try harder, then everything's going to be good. If I just try harder, I'm going to get what I want. And when I, when I don't get what I want, when things are not good, Instead of, instead of looking at the situation, I say, I just need to try harder. So everything is on me, and it's a trap, and it, it ensnares, and it's like running on a treadmill that keeps getting faster and faster and faster. And what it is is it's, it's the, the capital L lie. Okay? It's lie with a, a capital L. It's saying that you don't need God for wholeness. You don't need God to be, to be okay. And it, go back to the, it all starts with Genesis. I think I mentioned Genesis just about every message, so I'm sorry to, to repeat myself. But the serpent says, if you just eat this fruit, then you can be like God. Or if you just behave this certain way, then you don't need God. And here's what Jesus proves in this little passage in Mark. That Jesus is not going to validate your false self. Jesus is not going to validate the life that you try to live apart from God. He's not going to try to make it easier for you. He's not going to enable you. He's not going to say, oh, you just keep doing that thing that you're doing, and I'm just going to look, I'm going to look the other way. And none of this is new, right? We're not the first generation of people to struggle with this. The people, the people that were contemporaries of Jesus struggle with this. We're told uh, about a similar situation in, in the book of Matthew, that crowds were running after Jesus, Okay, Jesus and his disciples got in a boat. They went across the lake. When everybody woke up, they said, where's Jesus? And so they all hopped in their own boats. So it was like a big armada looking around, hide and seek. Where's Jesus? And they, 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 they ended up finding him. But the problem was that people were looking to Jesus not as the Messiah. They weren't looking at him as the son of God. They, they, were, looking at, they were looking for him because he fed them. He'd given them bread to eat, okay? And he, he gave it to them in plenty. So, so he had fixed the hunger of their stomach, right? And so this guy, he, he, wants, he, he wants Jesus to quench the hunger of his soul. What can I do to get eternal life? And some of the other examples I mentioned, we want, we want God to fix the hunger uh, that we have for, in our marriage. We want, we want God to fix the hunger that we have financially. We want God to fix the hunger we have in our body image or, or, or our sexuality or whatever it is. And so we, we, we approach him as a transaction. And so these crowds that follow Jesus, they, they wanted enough Jesus to satisfy the here and now. Okay, the, the I'm hungry. And what Jesus reflects back to this guy is that his true hunger is deeper than that. So Jesus, Jesus says to this crowd that's following around, what, what, what must we do to do the works God requires? 
Notice how similar that is to the question that the, the, the rich man just asked Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This question is, what must we do? There it is again. What must we do? Okay, the focus is on me. What can I grasp onto to do the works God requires? It's a transaction. But in that, in that passage, Jesus' response is this. Believe. The work that you have to do is to believe. Believe in the one that God sent. And I think this is interesting because Jesus says the work is to believe. That shows that, that belief takes effort. Right? Belief, I think sometimes we look at some people and we look at their faith and we're just like, oh man, that comes naturally. Okay? They, they have great belief. Uh, you know, they've just been blessed with great belief. But I, Jesus is pointing out that, that belief takes effort because so much is going to come at you that, that, that challenges you to, to believe differently. Right? Our experiences, our circumstances, like the man who said if God was better at his job, or I believe in God if he was better at his job, right? he, he wasn't willing to do the work that was required uh, for belief. Belief means letting truth define you. The work is uprooting from, from, the, the, from the lies, from the circumstances, from the results, and that takes worth. Belief means to be defined by is the slide that I think I uh, should be on the screen in case, you're, in case you're curious and taking notes. Belief is, 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 is faith. faith. Faith is trusting even when the circumstances appear to be contradictory. Right? The, the question, where are you, God? And, and having the, the faith that, that even when things aren't working out for me, God is right here. And Jesus will not leave you and will not forsake you. Our belief shapes our decisions, our behaviors, and our relationships. How we act in those, how we approach those. So if you're wondering, you know, what you truly believe, and what you truly believe about God, and Jesus, and being a disciple, and salvation, and all that, look at the fruit, look at the decisions, the behaviors, and and your relationships, and that's going to tell the story. So going back to Mark, okay, the, the, the man has uh, said, I've kept all these since a boy. And we are told Jesus looked at him and loved him. I think, that, I think that's an amazing verse or amazing sentence because it, it contradicts what we, what we think God's motivation sometimes is. You know, we, we think that God is out to condemn us, Right? We, when, when, we're, when we're in a transaction relationship, it's all about catching you in the bad deed. Ah, oh, I knew it. You're out. We think, we think that God's there to shame us. Jesus doesn't spit on him. Jesus doesn't turn his back on him. He says that Jesus loved him. And he says, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Here's the mirror. I know sometimes when we talk about love, we think love gives everything somebody wants or desires. But healthy love confronts brokenness. 
Healthy, healthy love says, hang on, there's one thing that there's one thing that you lack, and it has the courage to, to say that. So what Jesus says here doesn't come from condemnation. It doesn't come because he wants to repel this guy. What Jesus says comes because he loves this man. Sometimes it's uncomfortable loving someone because they're broken differently than, than we are. Right? And, and sometimes we, we want people to look like we, we do. And so we say there, there's one, one thing you like. In fact, we try to take this verse and we try to apply it to everyone. You know, everyone, if you're following Jesus, everyone has to give up all their money and they have to, they have to, they have to give it to the poor. And maybe that is the thing that, that God is calling you to do. But we all have different things that, that, that we struggle with. See, Jesus loves each of us enough to, to address our problem. Truth and love go hand in hand. You can't have, you can't have one without the other. If you, try to, if you try to have love without truth, then what you're doing is you're enabling somebody. If you try to have truth without love, then what you're, what you're trying to get people to do is just uh, behave a certain way. It's control. And so, notice this, though. Because I think this is the irony of this passage. The man wanted to know what he needed to do to please God. He said, what, what can I do? And so Jesus gives him exactly what he wants. He says, okay, here is what you can do. You can give it all up. Right? That, Jesus is, 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 is giving him exactly the opportunity he desired. You can. You can, you can keep control, but you are the one that has to give, give all this up. And he refused the opportunity. He lost his sense of goodness. He lost the sense of how good he stood in his, his culture. And he walked away sad because of it. See, Jesus was revealing to this man the root of his problem. And the root of his problem was that he was grasping on to, to, to money for his sense of self. It was giving him his sense of significance and, and worth. And so for you, it might not be money. You might have any problem giving up money. But it might be something else. It might be your health that you're grasping onto for your sense of, of who you are. It could be sexuality, which pervades our culture as a sense of who you are and what makes you, what makes you worth. And all of these things are anchoring you to something other than God. And so some questions to reflect on as you, as you leave here and you go about your week and maybe you read this passage. What, what keeps you from obedience? Like when God says, follow me, what is the thing that you say, just don't ask me to do this. Just don't ask me to do this. That's something you're clinging to. What are you, what are you desperately trying to fit Jesus into? What, what law are you overlooking? Because you want Jesus to fit into the way you're living your life. What in your life do you not want to lose? These are all the questions that, that reveal, are we looking to a good God for who we are, or are we clinging to something else? See, each of us, when we follow Jesus, are required to carry a cross. And a cross is a burden. A cross is going to be a constant reminder. And the good news is that Jesus promises to carry it with you, so the burden is going to be light. But the cross exists because of the brokenness of the world. So whatever it is you're grasping onto, 
Maybe it's a relationship. I need this relationship. If I lose this relationship, I do not know who I am anymore. That's because of the brokenness of the world. And loss, losing, giving things up, denying yourself, this is the way that our faith grows. Okay? And having loss was not what the, the man that we've been reading about and Mark what was prepared for. He was prepared for gain. So he went away sad. Right? That's what it says. He, he went away sad because, because he had wealth. But we could also say we go away angry, right? Or maybe we, maybe we go away offended. Or we say, we say to God, I can't do that. That's another way we can refuse. Or we could say, that can't be what the Bible says. So there's another way that we, that we refuse. God wouldn't make me do that. Or, or the, the, the ever-present, all-encompassing, that's not love. These are ways that, that we can rationalize clinging to, to the, the stuff we want. And so Jesus finishes this little passage off by looking around, and he says to his disciples, the guy is, the guy is probably beyond the crowd now. He's walking, his head's, his head's down, and he, he, he looks at his disciples, and he says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. See, because, because, of, because of his dependence, this man rejected true life. He was satisfied. He was comfortable. He had all he wanted. He just wanted to know, how can I add on to, to the good life that I already have? And that's how some of us go into Jesus. We want to know, how can I add on Jesus to what I'm already experiencing? I, wa- I want that transaction. See, it's impossible to follow Jesus if we don't confront the problem. It's impossible to follow Jesus if we don't acknowledge that, that we are tempted or we are given to want to cling to, to other things. So, it's not just eternal life that was the issue with this man. It was that he was living his life from a different source. And that's true of all of us. That's, that, uh, that is true of all of us. Jesus wants you to be aware of your need. He wants you to seek first the kingdom. The promise is after that, everything else you need is going to be given to you. But first, you're supposed to seek the kingdom. Live in him. So I end here with this question. Transformation or transaction? Please pray with me. God, thank you so much.